Love some bacon on a biscuit and let's go. We're burning daylight. Welcome to the Frontier Freedom Hour with Jeff Hunt. Sponsored by Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. Now, here's Jeff Hunt. Well, howdy, friends. It's great to be with you. Thanks so much for joining us. This is the Frontier Freedom Hour, hosted by the Centennial Institute. And my name is Jeff Hunt. I'm the director of the Centennial Institute at Colorado Christian University. And joining me in the studio is Jamie Erker, director of the communications. Howdy, Jamie. How are you doing? Good. Great to be here again. Excited for our show today. Yeah, we've got a great show. And uh, just got back from Odessa, Texas, was down there speaking and promoting the Western Conservative Summit. Odessa, Texas, all drilling rigs and churches. It's a beautiful, it's a lot more beautiful than pot shops and homeless encampments that we have up here in Denver. So uh, Texas seems to be doing it a lot better than Colorado these days. Friends, we've got a special show joining us today in studio because we've got an event at the Colorado State Capitol coming up is Stephen Collis. He's uh, researches and teaches on religion and law and other First Amendment topics. He's the founding faculty director of the Beck Laughlin First Amendment Center and of Texas's Law and Religion Clinic. He's at the University of Texas. Uh, prior to joining Texas, Stephen was a research fellow in the Constitutional Law Center at Stanford Law School. He works a lot on religious freedom. That's why we wanted to bring him in to discuss religious freedom issues, because these are really important. If you've been in Colorado, you know about Jack Phillips. You know about all the challenges we faced with Jack um, and the state, and then going all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court on the topic of religious freedom law. He is a sought-after speaker to academic and lay audiences across the United States, including foreign diplomats from countries in Europe, the Middle East, Asia, and South America on behalf of the United States State Department. He's been interviewed by and quoted in various news and media outlets, including the Deseret News, Bloomberg, the Washington Times, Law 360, the Salt Lake Tribune, PBS, the Denver Business Journal, Law Week Colorado, CBN News, and numerous podcasts and television shows. I don't think he's ever been on something as elite and as amazing as the Frontier Freedom Hour, which is uh, very special. (laughs) His scholarly work has been cited by justices of the Supreme Court and has appeared in the Michigan Law Review, the Nebraska Law Review, the University of Denver Law Review Online, And in his book, Deep Conviction, which brings to life the history of free exercise law in the United States for lay audiences. He's also a kind of history buff when it comes to World War II. He is the author of the nonfiction book, The Immortals, which tells the story of the sinking of the SS Dorchester during World War II and the heroic acts of five men to save hundreds of others. Stephen Collis, thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. So what brings you to town? So we've got an event today at the Capitol talking about, you know, broadly speaking, the value that religion brings to society and to our political discourse. And I've been asked to speak at that. And excited to be here. And who's hosting that? I have no idea. I think a, a group of uh, interfaith folks from a lot of different religions, and I understand there'll be a broad variety of speakers, including yourself and the governor, and I'm not sure who else. That's right. I I, I believe, I think it is interfaith, but LDS friends are really the ones kind of putting a lot of energy and uh, organizational strength behind this, and it's important because you you get groups that aren't typically together. That's what we're going to have at the Capitol because I've got to speak in front of Jared Polis, and uh, Governor Polis and I don't agree on much when it comes to public policy. And in our climate, we don't get a lot of those situations where people are together 
And to have Governor Polis talking about religious freedom, that's something in unique in itself and important. So they've gotten all these different faith groups together and be talking about the role of religion. Why, in, from your perspective, why is religion important to this country? Well, you know, there's actually, uh, in his final address, when President George Washington decided he didn't want to be a king, essentially, and announced that he was not going to run for another term, one of the things he talked about was the importance of morality and virtue in a civic society. And for if a people were going to govern themselves, they really did have to have morality and virtue. And the argument that he uh, put forth, which was something that many of the founders agreed upon, and there's a long philosophical tradition, was that that morality and virtue would come from religion, right? And uh, I think that's still true today, and many of us share that sentiment. And one of the things I'm going to talk about today is all the good that religion does in our society that Mm -hmm. often doesn't get reported on. Right. It's critical. A lot of people don't understand that our nation was founded as a conservative nation philosophically, all right, maybe not politically Republican, Democrat, that type of thing. But it was a conservative nation in the sense that conservatism has three primary issues that are necessary, they believe, for the, a functioning society. One is justice, the other is order, and the third is liberty. This is kind of Edmund Burke conservatism that then came through Russell Kirk, and Russell Kirk wrote in a book called The Conservative Mind. Those are the three things necessary for a healthy society. Uh, if you're a liberal, you tend to downplay the, the liberty side of it, and you like a bigger government. If you're a libertarian, you downplay the order side of it. And under order, you, you have to have some type of virtue. You cannot have justice. You cannot have liberty in this nation without virtue. Well, where does virtue come from? It comes from religion. Uh, it's, it's the best place to establish virtue, and, and it's been critical to, to our country. And so uh, for the very health of this nation, for the future of this nation, religious values is absolutely critical. But we're seeing in this nation kind of a drop in religious values. I think at this point, we're at the lowest church attendance in American history. What, what's going to be the long-term impacts of that from your perspective, you think? You know, just two days ago, I was in Des Moines, Iowa, speaking at a conference, and I had three of my students speak on this very question, the question of, as we see a drop-off in religiosity, what does that mean for religious freedom? In all honesty, I think it's hard to say at this point. There are robust protections in place. The Supreme Court is largely ruling in favor of religious freedom on a relatively uh, uh, often and regular clip. But one of the things you have to worry about is as society continues to trend more and more secular, we're going to more and more see laws being passed that infringe upon people's religious liberty, and people aren't going to take aren't going to understand the importance of that. They don't understand necessarily the importance of religious commitment, and in crafting laws, they're not going to be thinking about the impact those laws may have on religious believers. So we we saw this you know most recently with the COVID nineteen mm-hmm. pandemic rulings, where I think many state officials were trying their best to figure out how to navigate the pandemic, but in passing laws and passing rules, they weren't really thinking through, well, what is the impact this is going to have on, say, a small church whose only means of survival is meeting in person and passing the plate each week, right? Mm-hmm. Some of these churches, most people don't realize it, but most churches are very small. They have very little money. They can barely afford to pay a pastor $25,000 a year and keep the lights on in whatever building they're using. If they can't meet each week and pass the plate to get donations, they can't survive. And we saw this a lot in Texas with like historically black churches who were really struggling. Um, But many government officials who weren't religious themselves weren't thinking through those dynamics as they were passing various restrictions. And instead of working to find ways to allow churches to meet in a safe way, they simply passed restrictions without thinking of the impact on religion. 
I do worry that we'll see that more and more and more as more and more government officials become people who aren't familiar with just religious life generally. Do you think it's an ignorance towards religious values? Because in many ways, it feels like it's antagonistic towards religious values. You know, it's not just something that we're not aware, but uh, we don't like religious values. Therefore, we're going to implement rules that specifically harm religious groups. In many ways, it kind of feels that way from our perspective. But what's your thoughts on that? I think it's easy to fall into a trap to always assume the absolute worst about everyone. And especially in our social media age, I think that's a dangerous trap to fall into. Mm -hmm. So I do think there is a strand of folks on today's political left who are antagonistic towards religion and would pass laws, meaning you know, targeting religious people and trying to slow down religious activity in the country. I don't think that's the majority of people on the political left. Just to give you an example of it, in in Minnesota, they put a, a, a very quick shutdown order when the pandemic first started, right? We were seeing body bags coming out of Italy, and it just looked like, what is this virus going to do? So they shut down everything, including churches. Then we got two, three months into the pandemic, people realized it wasn't quite that bad. It wasn't a Hollywood movie, right? So the governor issued an order allowing movie theaters and concert halls to to ramp back up to 50% capacity. But in that order, he forgot about churches. So churches were still required to meet at only 10% capacity. And he immediately got a demand letter from the uh, Catholic diocese there that essentially said, we're not going to comply with this. You know, uh, concerts and movie theaters are just like meeting in church. If they can meet at 50%, we should be able to meet at 50%. This didn't get reported in the news, but the governor's response was immediate. He said, you know what? You're right. It was an oversight. And he immediately fixed the order Mm. and allowed everyone to come up to capacity. I I see that more often than not. There are certainly a strand of people who are targeting religion. More often than not, it's just simply not thinking about people's religious needs. Gotcha. Well, we're going to hold Mr. Stephen Collis over for a few more segments. We're going to be talking about uh, some of the Supreme Court issues that are coming up that look like they're part of religious freedom issues, but also have crossover into free speech. And and that's the reason uh, some of the Supreme Court or why the Supreme Court's taking on these issues. Uh, we're going to be talking a little bit more about the history of religious freedom thought and legal thought in this nation, because we really have in studio today one of the top thinkers on religious freedom in the country and its history, which I think is important for everybody to understand. A lot of times we wake up and we go, gosh, we're we're in this issue right now and we must be, uh, it must be new. But there's been a whole series of steps that have gotten us to where we are under and understanding how the Supreme Court looks at religious freedom, how a law looks at religious freedom in this country, why it's important to this country. We're going to be discussing all of that in some upcoming segments. So you're going to want to stick around. Uh, some news on the Western conservative summit we're going to be announcing later this week. Uh, We have Cal Thomas, who's going to be receiving the Armstrong Award. If you're not sure what the Armstrong Award is, it's our largest award. It's our biggest award for national conservative leadership. And Cal Thomas was a close friend of Bill Armstrong, who helped found the Western Conservative Summit. So uh, some big news coming up as we bring in Cal Thomas. We have Sarah Huckabee Sanders, as we have um, Kaylee McEnany. Uh, who else are we bringing? Uh, Jamie, you've been working with all the speakers. Yeah, we've got uh, Seth Gruber, Frank Gaffney. It's just going to be a great lineup of all speakers talking about a range of issues. It's going to be a great event. Heritage Foundation, Alliance Defending Freedom, Americans for Prosperity, everybody at the Western Conservative Summit, June 3rd and 4th uh, here in Denver. You can get tickets at westernconservativesummit.com. We'll be right back with Stephen Collis. Stephen Collis. 